Hello Voices, my name is Joe Choi and I'm a multi-award-winning voiceover and host of a voiceover's audio adventure podcast. A bi-weekly show where I learn about the voiceover and audio industry and share with you all the stories, tips and tricks along the way. Okay, so I decided to make an episode about AI. I know, I know, I know how original Joe, but hear me out. This is something that isn't going away anytime soon and ignorance is not bliss. I wasn't going to do this episode, but I've noticed a lot more AI jobs coming across my radar. I guess the stars just aligned and really wanted me to cover this. Again, because I also got a message on Twitter a few weeks ago from Dr. Matilde Pavis, who actually listens to the pod. Now, you may be wondering, who the hell is Dr. Matilde Pavis? Dr. Matilde Pavis is an expert in intellectual property law, ethics and new technologies. She actually came on my radar recently when she did a talk with friend of the pod, Marcus Hutton, at a VO conference talking about this subject. Well, I wasn't there. And I have questions on my own. So it's my turn. I want to know the current laws. How can I educate myself on AI and intellectual property? And most importantly, how to protect myself from getting my voice cloned and put me out of a job. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Been a long time coming, but it's nice to have you with us. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. I've been listening to your podcast, so it's kind of, it's really nice to be here with you. It's, it's always nice to um, have people from different backgrounds in terms of their professions listening to what I do. So um, yeah, thank you for taking time out and reaching out. And yeah, we're here now. So um, a lot of people may not know who you are. So would you like to introduce yourself to the people? Absolutely. So I'm Dr. Matilde Pavis and I am an academic and a legal consultant. I work in law. So in simple language, I'm a lawyer and I specialize in the protection of people's faces and voices, bodies and performances when they work in digital media. And more recently, that has meant I've been working more and more on issues of protection, remuneration and sort of distribution of um, digital clones, digital reproductions and AI generated performances, voices, content more generally. So why law and why this side of law, like the creative space? So I ended up specializing in this area because I love the work you do. So I love stories and I love stories well told. Me, me specifically. You specifically. <laughs> people with skills who can tell a story like no one else. People who can connect. So I consume yeah. and use and engage with content all day long. It's podcasts, it's TV series. I do all genres. I have no shame in my game. I just listen to it all, watch it all. Yeah. And I love it. And so I trained as a commercial lawyer uh, I was largely working in areas of company law merger and acquisition, and I was just not really lifting my spirit. So mm. I decided to move towards intellectual property and really working in like areas of creativity that I enjoyed every day. I'm not a performer myself, but I love the work of performers and and that way of connecting with people. I just love stories. So I think that was a good combination of interest and skills. And what I found out is actually performers tend 
tend to not be too keen on reading contracts and finding out about their rights. They often perceive that makes them come across as difficult or not as collaborative or cooperative, or they tend to work with people they're really friendly with. They have like a nice community. And then sort of they find it difficult to bring up questions of pay, contracts, um, licensing agreements and things like that. And it's been an interesting space to work in from that perspective, kind of a mix of psychology and law. And I really enjoy that. Obviously, AI is the hot topic in the world of entertainment and the creative world. What are the common topics that are thrown at you, basically? So the most question I have and I've received is, do I own my voice and do I own my face and what can I do to protect myself from unwanted um, cloning or unwanted synthesization of my work and my content using AI or other technologies? And that's the most common question. Actually, that question, it comes from people who are interested in working in that space and collaborating with companies to do research and development on working on other Uh, projects like that but they want to make sure they're prepared and their interests are protected and also get that questions from people who feel a bit fearful and anxious about it and they actually want to keep to the work they do as much as possible but they have kind of the AI development or AI innovation looming on the horizon or in the background of their mind and of their work and they just want to make sure they know what to do um, as this technology develops so that's the main question and then really otherwise It's just um, a repetition of the problems or questions that already existed in other sectors, whether you're working in gaming or in dubbing or whatever the work, um, the, the type of performance work you do. So it's questions of contracts, it's questions of intellectual property, it's question of remuneration and fees and usage. And it's those questions that end up being repeated in the context of AI, which is good news because those are questions we have answers to. And what we need to do is bring those yeah. answers, good answers, into the new AI sector. And in terms of where we are right now currently with, you know, the government, you know, there's been a lot of say campaigns for the protection of voiceovers, especially to do with AI. Where are we currently now? Where do the government stand in protecting us in June now in 2023? So at the moment, the government is working on AI and improving legal frameworks and policies. But the only sort of uh, difficulty in answering your question is that it's a bit piecemeal. They're doing lots of different bits of work in different places. So if you're an expert in the field, then you have you have the capacity to look at the field. You know, overall, you can see all of those pieces moving. But if you're perhaps a performer focused on your work and your craft, you're not going to be busy reading up on Westminster's you know bulletins and all of that. It's a little bit difficult to get a quick overview. So broadly speaking, the government in the UK wants to brand itself as a you know the new place for AI superpower and innovation. So their approach is to go down the route of a light touch regulation approach. Now that is business friendly and could work if it's done very well and we'll see what they propose. But so that means they're looking at collaborating with industry to kind of ease issues and solve problems with code of conduct, potentially updating certain areas of law. What it means for performers is for a performer is that we would want to look at the intellectual property framework and make sure that is solid 
So your rights and your intellectual property as a performer is well protected in the context of digital cloning or AI synthesization or data mining. Similarly, you want your data protection rights to be well protected. At the moment, the government is consulting on these issues and it hasn't proposed clear, you know, proposals for reforms or recommendations. So we're still waiting. There's been a big conversation about data mining. Data mining is the first yeah. task that an AI model has to do uh, in order to pick up on patterns and information in your content. So then it's able to generate it in a way that, you know, it's been prompted to, whether it imitates the original input information or content or whether it creates something completely different, right? But it has learned something from the content you've given it. So if I'm trying to clone your voice, Joe, I'd have to use your voice and I'm asking the AI model to imitate uh, what it's heard, but with new text or completely different script. And so the first task yeah. would be data mining. Now, at the moment in the EU and in the UK, you can do data mining for non-commercial purposes if you fit within the definition of a research institution or organization. So that allows universities to do that, schools to do that work if they're researching, but it doesn't allow companies to do that without paying rights of access to the content if it's protected. So if you're a performer and you want to give your back catalogue, for example, to a company like that in order for them to improve or work on their models, AI models, you could do that and leverage a fee remuneration against that. And I think the majority of people feel that's fair because you're giving value to the company and in exchange, they're also extracting and gaining value and then there should be an exchange of remuneration. The government for a while proposed that we open up the right to data mine to also non-commercial purposes, meaning by that, that you wouldn't be able to get remuneration or even your consent before someone goes and mine your content. And so that got really big pushback from a lot of people across the creative industries, from equity, the UK performers unions or the musicians unions, the musicians unions, sorry. So lots of people were like, hang on a minute. I'm not sure that's fair. Can we stop and think about this before we make that law? And that's what happened. The government agreed to pause, do more work to explore the impact that this type of reform would bring to the creative industries, but also beyond. So at the moment, that's the phase we're in. There's consultation, discussion, and but the direction of travel of the UK is to consider a light touch regulation approach. We'll see what that means. But what, what I do is um, I'm trying to bring evidence of the issues that performers face. And I support organizations that work in this space like equity, but there are other ones as well. Um, to make sure we've got a full picture that your interest as a performer, which is a bit different to the interest of a painter, for example, or someone who works in a different media, a media that doesn't have their face, their voice, their body in it and really the heart of it. Because I think to me, that makes you more vulnerable. I think it makes the content you create more personal, also more relatable, more enjoyable, but that's my personal opinion, but also as like kind of an asset. I think that makes it more special in many ways than a piece of music. Yeah. I'm not saying music is different and that's a form of expression, mm. but I think when it doesn't have something that looks like you in it, it's a little bit different. And you said that it's currently on pause. Does that mean they can't do anything until it's discussed again? Or does it mean they're allowed to do stuff still, like data mining wise? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. So that means at the moment, in order for a company to mine your content when it's protected by intellectual property rights, um, whether it's copyright or performance rights, 
or another, um, that means that your consent is required if you're within the term of protection. And if, you know, work within your lifetime would be within that duration of protection. And should I be keeping an eye on governments all around the world or do I just focus on the UK government? I would say keep it easy and keep it about the UK to begin with um, because at the moment each state is going at its own pace and have their own legal frameworks to work with. Um, the UK and the EU at the moment are harmonised on this point because the UK hasn't left the EU that long ago and it's kept a lot of the laws that were coming from the EU and harmonised, which really helps. So if you work within those parameters, that means you're working you know, with parameters that are also common to the whole EU bloc. So that's a lot of countries um, that you're kind of up to date on. Now, I wouldn't worry about, if you're a performer, I wouldn't stop, you know, I wouldn't necessarily keep an eye on all of the policy developments, but I would get to date yeah. as soon as I find out what I'm told that it turns into actual laws that impact you. Where I would start, on yeah. the other hand, is with your contracts. Your contracts are your main point of protection today for AI innovation, whether you want to engage with it and you're keen to get on board and you know, partner up with those companies or with the studios that are using AI tools as part of their as part of their work, or whether you just want to take a bit of a distance and just stay informed and just you know keep away a little bit until the field settles a bit more. So yeah, I was I was actually going to ask you how does one protect themselves, but in terms of contracts, what type of things should we look out for as voiceovers and people that work in the audio space in terms of when somebody's trying to you know, sneak little words in there that we don't understand, obviously, because we're not legally trained. But essentially, it means they're taking our voice and do what they want with it. What should we look out for? And how do we protect ourselves? So good news is that you only have to look out two parts of your contract. And there are a few keywords that you can actually search for in the document when you get it. So when you get your contract, and remember your contract can also come in the form of just a series of emails. It doesn't need to be a document named or titled contract or agreement for it to be a yeah. contract. So you could have a conversation that we're having right now and that be a contract. Or you can, of course, receive you know messaging on social media or emails or text and that also be a contract. But Sometimes when you're receiving terms and conditions, they're attached to an email or they come in a form of a, a document. When you get this, when you're looking back at the emails, make sure you look at two things, which is your, the first is your intellectual property transfer. Sometimes they're called intellectual property. Sometimes they're called buyout. They can be called licensing terms. So those are all keywords that refer to the same uh, term in your contract. And what you want to make sure you do is ask for and only agree to a license, not an assignment of your rights, not a buyout of your rights. Assignment and buyout essentially means the same. It means that you're selling your rights and you're selling your IP and within that, your voice as well. So the person who received your rights in that way because they got a buyout from you, they can recreate um, your, you know, your voice or content that you've generated using AI because it's a bit like you've sold your house. What they do with the house when you sold it, the buyers can do whatever they want. It's different when you're renting it. And the better analogy would be if you license your content for a limited period of time, for a limited project, then the person who receives the enjoyment of those rights is bound to respect those boundaries. Right. So you're more like you're renting your voice for a period of time. Yeah. And that's the best thing to do right now. The other thing you need to keep an eye out is your remuneration. 
the more rights you give away, the more remuneration you should give in return because the more privilege and the more value you're giving up, right? So if they're not ready to pay, you shouldn't give as many rights or as much rights um, over to them. I know it's not always easy to negotiate that. I can see your face right yeah. now and it's telling me, yes, <laughs> that would be great if it worked like this. I know yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always work like that. So remuneration should be proportionate, but very, very importantly, even if you've got a license, if you've got a remuneration where, you know, it's as far as it can go because you have to work with a budget and with a client and all of that, make sure you're including an AI clause, an artificial intelligence clause that says this project is about doing this. It's a video, it's a podcast, it's a script, audiobook, whatever. It is not to be repurposed for something else. And I do not consent. And to your voice or your content being reused, repurposed, using AI in a completely different context. And that AI clause will help you even if you have agreed to a buyout because it's an industry standard you can't, you know, get out of or negotiate your way out of because uh, that's really common. I completely appreciate that. And so using AI clauses is something very effective you can do tomorrow. And I put out actually a lot of content and resources about them. I've got videos online. I've got a digital course on this starting in July. I also will share uh, AI clauses template that you can go and copy and paste and use tomorrow in your contract. If that's interesting, I'm going to put them out today, actually. So by the time you'll be listening to this, it'll be already on online and you can look it up on my website or on my social media and use it it's free use it put it in your contract put let it in that email when you're having a chat <laughs> saying i agree to your con you know agree yeah. on the fee agree on the budget those terms are fine by the way you know let's include that into a contract so far i've had a hundred percent track record in getting them in every time i've helped a performer include that clause into a contract it's worked because clients understand that if they're not hiring you for a project that's related to AI, they understand that you want to protect yourself from you know, the work being reused in that way without your consent. And they get it. So that I would encourage you to do that because it's a great, easy first step. So would you so if somebody wanted to use your voice for an AI for whatever it is, would you say it's okay to do so if you are protected with your contract and licensing or would you stay away from it as a voiceover as a voiceover i think it's your choice i think if you have a good contract that protects your interests uh, in terms of it's limited um, it's contained within the contract you remunerate it fairly and it meets your other terms whatever that may be uh, quality purpose all of that i'd say go for it um, that is no more or less dangerous than working in an other media and that particular output being used out of context or um, used in a way that you're not happy with. So that, for me, whether you choose to do it is not the problem, it's the terms that you decided yeah. or agreed to do it on that really is where your vulnerability comes in. Um, yeah. And there's a little bit of education that you have to do because you, on the other hand, on the other side of that conversation, you're working with clients and production companies who are also creatives. They're not lawyers and they're super keen. They're super excited about this. Like, yeah, let's go. Let's use that contract we've always used. Mm. You sign it there. It's like, no, because that contract was not written for the, with this technology in mind and it impacts your voice and your assets in a very different way to analog or to, you know, different type of recording. So we do need to have a contract that's tailored to this, that protects you. If you've got that, go for it. Um, if that's of interest, if you don't want to engage with AI, no problem. But don't 
um, would, what my advice, if I can have one for other performers and voiceovers, don't let fear decide whether or not you want to work in that space. Just make it like an artistic or career or professional decision, right? So let that be choice yeah. and excitement rather than fear of, I don't know what's going on, um, you know, because if you've got a good contract, there's no reason for you not to work in that space, in my opinion, as a lawyer. But artistically, you may want to take your career different places and that's a very personal decision. Speaking from um, experience, I've I've had a few offers for AI and yeah, I just, I'm just at that point where I don't fully understand it. But like you say, it's about education. And if I see those two letters, I'm like, no, <laughs> I won't even continue to even entertain the, the offer or anything like that. Just because I think it's still too early for me personally to to go down that road. And I don't want to regret it later. But I also agree with what you said. You just have to make sure that you cross your T's and, and dot your I's and make sure you know what you're getting into and make sure it's for a small period of time. But... You know, a lot of people want the world and they want, <laughs> they want it for cheap. So, you know, there's always somebody out there that's going to do it. So they'll just find somebody else. But yeah, it's not for me right now, but I get it. Are your concerns about, is it for you or is it not for you? Is it a question of you're worried your voice may be used and manipulated in a way that you're losing control? Or you? Yeah. is it more a question of artistic, you know, creation, portfolio, no, it's, it's, maybe it's, reputation? No, the former it's how is it going to be used where is it going to be used um you know I've, I've had clients who i've worked with before come back to me to ask if they can synthesize my voice to use for legal terms and conditions and i had to say no because even though the work would be really really long they've acknowledged that and they know to get me to record that it's going to cost so much money that they've said oh you know, it will save you time, will give you X amount of pounds. But I said to them, well, either way, it's going to be a lot of money because I'm not giving you permission to use my voice, even if it is just for this project. I don't, I know it sounds bad, but I don't trust you. I don't trust anything right now. So I think for me, I'm just keeping the cards close to my chest right now until I understand more with my rights and, and how everything can be used in a public space. No, that's fair enough. I mean, if you don't have that trust level that you need with your clients, whether they're working in AI or something else, that's, you know, it's not bad. It's fair enough. That's what you need. It's one of your value in collaborating with people. Another, um, a few of my voiceover friends, they've decided to go down the road of creating AI versions of themselves. Can you please explain how this would protect the VO and would that be worth it? So I think the question, I would be really interested in asking your VO friends um, where they see the protection come in because as a lawyer, not you know looking at the contracts that they've made with the companies or the tools they use to create a digital clones of themselves, on the face of it, it doesn't protect you more than a contract would, more than the rights you've already got in your voice. And there are some like data protection, a little bit of intellectual property, but it's not too straightforward. You have more protection in the performance of your voice rather than the voice itself, for example. So creating a clone of yourself as a protective mechanism doesn't work so well. It can help because it's a new or different commercial offering. So if a company wants to synthesize you, you could say, hey, I've already got it. 
do you want a license or use that one? And maybe you can negotiate a better deal because you're from a slightly, your starting point is slightly different. That's not really legal protection. That's just negotiation technique or it's a different commercial offering, as I mentioned. So there is, it doesn't protect you. It doesn't add to your protection. The only small possibility, and that's a huge stretch, is that maybe you would claim something like a type of copyright in the clone. And if it's reused or a competing clone comes up, then you could potentially make a really complicated argument, an expensive argument in court, expensive because court proceedings are really expensive and often not used as way to, you know, as leverage to protect yourself as a performer. But that's, that's a, that's a real big stretch. And therefore I don't think it's very realistic to look at that option today. Um, so I'd be, but perhaps, you know, the, the only thing I can think of is that you have some companies, AI companies, who will collaborate with their talent to protect them and use some of their resources to protect them because they want their the digital clone they're created for their talent to be the only one and clients to come to them instead of going to a competing company. Yeah. And sometimes they will, you know, request a takedown from another platform because they have the resources and they'll try. They don't really have a leg to stand on, legally speaking, to do that, but they'll support the talent in that way. But again, that's a slim bit of protection you'd get there. And it's not really rooted in the law, it's rooted in commercial relationships. And what would happen if I found out somebody was using my voice without my permission? What is the process? And do I have to get my suit ready for court? Like, what do I have to do? So thankfully, you have an easier first step than that, uh, because if someone else is using your voice without your consent, um, chances are very, very high that they've accessed a recording of your voice to do that, right? They won't have grabbed your voice live in a while when you're walking down the street. So they've, they, maybe have, they may have scraped a recording of your voice they've come across online or on TV or on the radio, and they've used that to train their AI algorithm and then generated a, a synthetic Joe Troy. Right. That sounds just about like you. Probably not as good. It's not that good yet. It's not near perfect, but it's it's still high quality uh, with the amount, the right amount of resources going into it. So if that happens, you have a cheaper and easier alternative to going to court. You can request a takedown from the company. Uh, you could contact the company and or contact the platform that is disseminating your content. So whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on social media, you can contact that platform as well and ask for a takedown. And you would ask, you will make your request or ask for your takedown using two different grounds of law, two different rights. First, your intellectual property rights, because if someone uses your sound recording without your consent, they may have infringed two rights your copyright, because if you made it at home, that recording, you own the copyright in it, in the sound recording, and your performance rights, because that sound recorded encapsulates or fixes your performance in it. And that is protected also under and by performance rights. Every time that's infringed or used without your consent, you can ask someone to stop doing that because it's a breach of your rights. And you can also ask platforms to do that. And sometimes you see that on social media, you see a little notice like you cannot access this video because it infringes copyright or something like that. YouTube has a slightly sassier comment, right, (laughs) on that. Um, and, And that would be why. That would be why, because someone else did that. 
you know, requested a takedown. And as a platform, they have to do that if they want to stay neutral and avoid liability. And the other ground you can do when you're making your request is use personal data protection because your voice is classed as personal data. And even more than that, it's classed as sensitive data because in your voice carries a lot of specific information about you. You can tell where someone's from. You can tell potentially also their social economic background, the right. accents, lots of things in your voice says a lot about you and the legislator recognized that and protected it with the highest level. It's protected at the same level as your DNA. So it is recognized as really special. So you can use either IP or personal data protection saying for your data to be A, collected and processed, if someone makes a clone of you, they're processing your data and they need your consent to do that. And if they don't have it, there are small exceptions like free speech and things like that, but they still need to respect your privacy and your IP. So you do have quite a bit of protection to use. So you can use those two things because your consent is required before anyone uses your IP or your personal data protection, uh, personal data. So write those requests. Now, how do you word it? I have templates available and I'll share them for free on my website very soon in the next few weeks. So you can go and download. The text is pre-written. You have to put your name, put the title of your sound recording, and you can copy and paste it and send it off to those platforms or those clients. I know Equity will have very similar resources available for Equity members very soon. So either way, if you're an Equity member, you're covered. You're going to get help. You can ask Equity and they'll help you. If you're not, you're, you can get the same level of resources and information from me and on my website, on my social media. So either way, you should have at least a starting point or a starter information to get going with your with your request. And before we wrap up today, um, if somebody wants to reach out to you or get involved in your course that's coming up, where can they find you? And if you want to tell the people a bit about what you're offering. Yes. So if you want to find out more or get in touch, the easiest way um, to do that is to go to my website, matildepavis.com. So that's my first name, my family name.com. And you will also find me on social media as Matilda Pavis or a lawyer in your corner. And you will find out about the resources I've put out. If you join my newsletter, you'll get that stuff automatically in your inbox. So if you join up every time I put out new content and new resources, it will land uh, in your inbox straight away. So that could be an effective way to keep in touch with what I do. If you have specific questions, message me, email me. All of that information is on the website. And as of this week, I have opened up my new digital course for registration. The first course I'm launching is about AI clauses. AI clauses is that bit in your contract that you can add when you're dealing with clients to make sure that the work you do with them doesn't get reused for AI projects without your consent. And you can use that in various different ways in a way that doesn't change the way you do business today and the way you negotiate deals. It's really easy to just include that in your day-to-day practice. And I will tell you how to do that on the course. Um, you will also, you know, you can download from my website uh, AI clauses templates if you just want to crack on and just grab that and use it tomorrow. Uh, and if you want to make the more of it, or if you need a little bit more support, come on the course. It's open for registration for the whole month of June and they will start in July. It'll be online and also available in live and recorded. So you can follow along every week, join the session, ask me questions direct and in live, or you can binge all at the end if that's <laughs> how you learn and work best because I totally get, we've got, we're busy. We're busy 
you know, you're, you're recording all day, you're getting clients. So if you don't have time when we're all available live, you can just do it on your own and get in touch with me later. Um, again, the website will have all of the information. And because I love your podcast and I know other people are, I've created a, a voucher discount with a link that will be available in the notes for this episode. And if you use it, you'll get a 30% off. So go and grab that. I'm going to put everything down below. You've been amazing. You've taught me a lot. I knew that anyway, but <laughs> I'm sure we'll be in contact again because I'm it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So I'm like, I need some help. <laughs> so I know where to find you now. Absolutely. Ask away. Um, and if I can help directly, I'll point you in a place where you, you can get help or support from. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And I'll keep listening to you every time you put out an episode. So I feel like I'm right with you again, <laughs> even though it's on my own in my living room. So what did I take away from today's conversation? Don't be afraid of AI. There's always going to be new technology introduced to our world. Embrace it. Learn as much as you can and keep up to date with your country's standings with regulations. A good source is equity as well as simply Google. Don't be ignorant. And the more you know, the more you can pivot and be in a strong position to protect yourself. Speaking of protection, the best way to do so is, you guessed it, contracts. Contracts, contracts, contracts. Make sure everything you work on has some sort of contract, whether that's an Insta DM, email thread, word of mouth, or anything that can prove what was discussed. Make sure you understand what you are getting involved in and include an AI clause in there. And lastly, if you have any questions or unsure about anything regarding AI, intellectual property law or ethics, use the resources. Don't be afraid to reach out to professionals. They are experts in these areas and they're here to help. I'll link some in the description. Thank you, Dr. Mathilde Papers for answering all of my questions. I have included all of her details as well as a discount link to her course for all of you to use. Make sure you use it. Remember, you can always reach out if you have any questions, subjects you would like me to cover in the future, or any tips you might want to share. And last of all, remember to rate the goddamn episode. <laughs> but please do. Okay, another adventure over. Until next time. Bye-bye.